0: SECTION 23 OF BALED HAY BY BILL NYE. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. ASK US SOMETHING DIFFICULT. WHAT BECOMES OF OUR BODIES? ASKS A SOFT-EYED SCIENTIST. AND WE ANSWER IN STENTORIAN TONES THAT THEY GET INSIDE OF A RED FLANNEL UNDERSHIRT AS THE MAPLE TURNS TO CRIMSON AND THE sassafras TO GOLD. Ask us something difficult, ethereal being, if you want to see us get up and claw for our library of public documents. A Mining Experiment A mild-eyed youth wearing a desert spoon hat and polka dot socks went into Middle Park the other day and claimed to be a mining expert. The boys inveigled him into driving a stick of giant powder into a drill hole at the bottom of a shaft with an old axe. And now they are trying to get him out of the ground with ammonia and a toothbrush. A NEW INDUSTRY The want column of the Chicago News for October 10th has the following... Twelve frightful examples wanted to travel with Scott Marble's new drama and appear in the realistic barroom scene of The Drunkard's Daughter, Arthur G. Cambridge, dramatic agent, 75 South Clark Street. This throws open a field of usefulness to a class of men who hitherto have seen no prospect whatever for the future. It brings within the reach of such men a business which, requiring no capital, still gives the actor much time to do as he chooses. Beauty often wins for itself a place in the great theatrical world, but it is rare that the tomato nose and the watery eye secure a salary for their proprietors. Business must be picking up when the wiggly legs and danger-signal nose will bring so much per week in railroad fare. Perhaps prohibition has got the frightful example business down to where it commands the notice of the world because of its seldom condition. The Mimic Stage At the performance of The Phoenix here the other night, there was a very affecting place where the play is transferred very quickly from a street scene to the elegant apartments of Mr. Blackburn, the heavy villain. The street scene had to be raised out of the way, and the effect of the transition was somewhat marred by the reluctance of the scenery in rolling up out of the way. It got about halfway up and stopped there in an undecided manner, which annoyed the heavy villain a good deal. He started to make some blood-curdling remarks about Mr. Bloodsoe, and it got pretty well warmed up when the scenery came down with a bang on the stage the artist who pulls up the curtain and fills the hall lamps, then pulled the scene up so as to show the villain's feet for fifteen or twenty minutes, but he couldn't get it any farther. It seemed that the clothesline by which the elaborate scenery is operated got tangled up some way, and this caused the delay. After that, another effort was made, And this time the street scene rolled up to about the third story of a brick hotel shown in the foreground and stopped there, while the clarionet and first violin continued a kind of sad tremolo. Then a dark hand with a wart on one finger and an oriental dollar store ring on another came out from behind the wings and began to wind the clothesline carefully around the pole at the foot of the scene. The villain then proceeded with his soliloquy, while the street scene hung by one corner in such a way as to make a large warehouse on the corner of the street stand out at an angle of about 45 degrees. Laramie will never feel perfectly happy until these little hitches are dispensed with. Supposing that at some place in the play where the heroine is speaking soft and low to her lover and the proper moment has arrived for her to pillow her sunny head up on his bosom. That street scene should fetch loose and come down with such a momentum as to knock the lovers over into the arms of the bass-vial player. Or suppose that in some deathbed act the same scene, loaded with a telegraph pole at the bottom, should settle down all at once in such a way as to leave the deathbed out on the corner of Monroe and Clark Streets, "'in front of a candy store. "'Modern stage mechanism has now reached "'such a degree of perfection "'that the stage carpenter does not go up "'on a stepladder in the middle of a play "'and nail the corner of a scene "'to a stick of two-by-four scantling "'while a duel is going on near the stepladder. "'In all the larger theaters and opera houses now, "'they are not doing that way. "'Of course, little incidents occur, however,' even on the best stages and where the whole thing works all right. For instance, the other day a young actor who was kneeling to a beautiful heiress down east got a little too far front and some scenery which was to come together in the middle of the stage to pianissimo music shut him outside and divided the tableau in two, leaving the young actor apparently kneeling at the foot of a street lamp as though he might be hunting for a half-dollar he had just dropped on the sidewalk. There was a play in New York not long ago, in which there was a kind of military parade introduced, and the leader of a file of soldiers had his instructions to march three times around the stage to marshal music, and then file off at the left, the whole column, of course, following him. After marching once around... The stage manager was surprised to see the leader deliberately wheel and walk off the stage at the left, with the whole battalion following at his heels. The manager went to him and abused him shamefully for his haste and told him he had a mind to discharge him. But the talented hack driver, who thus acted as the military leader and who had overplayed himself by marching off the stage ahead of time, said, Well, confound it, you can discharge me if you want to, but what was a man to do? Would you have me march around three times when my military pants were coming off, and I knew it? Military pride, pomp, parade, and circumstance are all right, but it can be overdone. A military squadron, detachment, or whatever it is, can make more of a parade under certain circumstances than is advertised. I didn't want to give people more show than they paid for, and I ask you to put yourself in my place. When a man is paid three dollars a week to play a Roman soldier, would you have him play the Greek slave? No, sir. I guess I know what I'm hired to play, and I'm going to play it. When you want me to play Adam at the Garden of Eden, just give me my fig leaf and salary enough to make it interesting, and I will try and properly interpret the character for you, or refund the money at the door. Decline of American Humor Dear, mellow-voiced, starry-eyed reader, did you ever see something about the Decline of American Humor? Well, we got a gob of American Humor yesterday written by a yahoo with pale pink hair, which was entitled... Marriage in Mormondom on the Tauntine Plan. Well, we declined it. Decline of American humor. Sabi. Chicago Custom House. The Chicago Custom House and Post Office, built from designs by Oscar Wilde and other Delirium Tremens artists, is getting wiggly and bids fair to some day fall down and scrunch about five hundred United States employees into the great billowy sea of the eternal hence. It is a sick-looking structure, with little Gothic warts on top, and red window sashes, and little half-grown smokehouses sprouting out of it in different places. It is grand, gloomy, and peculiar, and looks as though it might be cursed with an inward pain." FOREIGN OPINION We are indebted to Fred J. Prouding, correspondent of the Foreign and British Newspaper Press, for a copy of the London Daily News of the Ninth Instante Ments, containing the following editorial notice. "'If ever celebrity were attained unexpectedly, most assuredly it was that thrust upon Bill Nye by truthful James.' It is just possible, however, that the innumerable readers of Mr. Bret Hart's heathen Chinese may have imagined Bill Nye and ah sin to be purely mythical personages. So far as the former is concerned, any such conclusion now appears to have been erroneous. Bill Nye is no more a phantom than any other journalist, although the name of the organ which he runs— save as more of a fiction than a fact. But there is no doubt about the matter, for the Washington correspondent of the New York Tribune telegraphed on the twenty-ninth instant that Bill Nye had accepted a post under the government. He has lately been domiciled in Laramie City, Wyoming territory, and is editor of the Daily Boomerang— In reference to acting Postmaster General Hatton's appointment of him as Postmaster at Laramie City, the opponent of our sin writes an extremely humorous letter, extending his thanks, and advising his chief of his opinion that his appointment is a triumph of eternal truth over error and wrong. Nye continues— It is one of the epochs, I may say, in that nation's onward march toward political purity and perfection. I don't know when I have noticed any stride in the affairs of state which has so thoroughly impressed me with its wisdom.' In this quiet strain of banter, Bill Nye continues to the end of his letter, which suggests the opinion that whatever the official qualifications of the new postmaster may be, the inhabitants of Laramie City must have a very readable newspaper in the daily boomerang. While thanking our London contemporary for its gentle and harmless remarks, we desire to correct an erroneous impression that the news seems to have as to our general style. The British press has in some way arrived at the conclusion that the editor of this fashion guide and mental lighthouse on the rocky shores of time, terms cash, is a party with wild tangled hair and an eye like a tongue of flame.' that is not the case, and therefore our English co-worker in the great field of journalism is, no doubt, laboring under a popular misapprehension. Could the editor of the news look in upon us as we pull down tome after tome of forgotten lore in our study? Or, with a glad smile, glance hurriedly over the postal card in transit through our post office? He would see— not as he supposes, a wild and cruel slayer of his fellow men, but a thoughtful, scholarly, and choice fragment of modern architecture with lines of care about the firmly chiseled mouth and with the subdued and chastened air of a man who has run for the legislature and failed to get there, Eli. The London News is an older paper than ours, and we therefore recognize the value of its kind notice." The Boomerang is a young paper and has therefore only begun fairly to do much damage as a national misfortune. But the time is not far distant when, from Greenland's icy mountains to India's coral strand, we propose to search out suffering humanity and make death easier and more desirable by introducing this choice malady. Regarding the post office, we wish to state that we shall aim to make it a great financial success and furnish mail at all times to all who desire it, whether they have any or not. We shall be pretty busy, of course, attending to the office during the day and writing scathing editorials during the night, but we will try to snatch a moment now and then to write a few letters for those who have been inquiring sadly and hopelessly for letters during the past ten years. It is indeed a dark and dreary world to the man who has looked in at the same general delivery window nine times a day for ten years, and yet never received a letter, nor even a confidential postal card from a commercial man stating that on the fifth of the following month he would strike the town with a new and attractive line of samples. We should early learn to find out such suffering as that, and if we are in the post office department, we may be the means of such good by putting new envelopes on our own dunning letters and mailing them to the suffering and distressed. Let us in our abundance remember those who have not been dunned for many a weary year. It will do them good, and we will not feel the loss. End of section twenty-three.